Guys, welcome to another episode of the Valley Deep Mountain High podcast. Can you believe we are already on season three, episode one? I'm joined again today with my good friend Jonathan Flynn. How are you today, mate? You all right? It's a beautiful. How are you? Yeah, mate. Yeah, spring is here. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Mate, what I'm going to do on this one is. Um... The final episode of season two with my brother was all about a crazy place we spent our youth. And I know that you joined us on many trips to this awesome location. And uh, yeah, I want your view on it. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's get the tales going, mate. Let's get the tales going. So, so um, go. <laughs> yeah. So I was I went on um, the coast to coast ride um, a few years ago with my wife now, and. On that ride, I didn't know, but you go through Garagil. Oh, right, okay. And I was like, no way. And it all sort of, the flashback started happening. <laughs> Good one, like <laughs> Well, it was a mixed bag, but yeah, I was, I've been here before. And then I seen the road sign, I was like, oh, it's happening again. It is. That's have a little lie down. It is the. Uh, it is that that village from the League of Gentlemen. It? <laughs> <laughs> totally, mate. Not from round here. And it's surprisingly hilly. Yes, yes, certainly um, is. So um, it was hard to leave. Me and Mark, that gravity was sucking me back in. Yeah, me and Mark basically <laughs> spoke about um, like our first impressions of the centre, obviously, because we were young kids when we first went there. Um, what was your first impressions, like memories of the of the centre? Uh, the centre, I like that. The hub, the hub, the 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 the, the main. Yeah, House we, of we say activity. outdoor centre in the loosest of terms because you might as well have been sleeping outside. But <laughs> I think at one point we were, weren't we? Yeah, there was there was, <laughs> bit, there was trips I remember there where walls were missing from rooms, and there was like you'd have to say, "Oh, you can sleep in here." And like, all right, and then in the morning we'd get up and there'd be like daylight creeping through, but not through the window, through a wall that wasn't there. I think it says a lot. Uh, now, I didn't mention this on, on the podcast with Mark because I wanted to get it on with you. Um, I mean, like, we could all talk for days and days about some of the stuff we've done because it's, it's mad. But it says a lot about this outdoor centre when it was our final sort of practice trip before going to Kenya. That was that was where we were taken because it was like living in a slum, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, it was, yeah. Some of the buildings in Kenya were better, made, to be, to be <laughs> yeah, honest. Yeah, corrugated definitely. roof and all, <laughs> dirt floor. Um, yeah, some of some of the housekeeping. So when you normally go, like I used to work at a youth hostel. So when you when you go to them, outdoor centres, youth hostels, there's normally like fire regs on the wall. There's normally like um, fire extinguishers in the building. <laughs> yeah, extinguishers, blankets. Like there's normally do's and don'ts. You like. Here's your washing. This is what you do with your kit. This is what, <laughs> and there wasn't really that. It wasn't really a a big list of things. It was more like guidelines, and really what people would bring to the party. Um, yeah, I remember one of the <laughs> used to have to do was stamp your feet when you went into a new room, just to get all the critters out, like scare them off. <laughs> so like all the rodents and that would. Would scarper up places, and you wouldn't meet any. <laughs> <laughs> that was the solution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
there was oh, there's man. um oh mate there was one there was one <laughs> trip that stands out for me yeah, and there's, there's a fair few trips I've done there that were really good um, and they were all very unique in, in that centre just because the centre brought its own challenges but one in particular trip that um, I know you were on and um, our good friend Mike listened to the last one and he was he was all over it and said he had fond memories there so um, <laughs> as we grew up obviously we've discussed before that you know we were in we were in like Cubs, Scouts, Cadets, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, you were there with us as well. And one trip that we ended up at Garrigill, we weren't supposed to be there. And it's because uh, we had to bail off Great Gable. Oh, my God. Do you you remember that trip? (laughs) Could could I forget? It took me 15 years to go back to Great Gable. (laughs) Mate, I didn't go back there (laughs) until I was an adult. (laughs) um... Well, I was an adult and then some. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was like... Getting married, and I was like, I bet I've got to put this to bed, really. <laughs> get over sort, there. Sort this trauma out. <laughs> I know. The bedwetting was just too much for my wife. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that, that ill-fated Great Gable trip. So, like, the the premise was great. I mean, we think we are in Cubs, weren't we? Yeah, we were only young. And, um, yeah, it must have been around 96, because I remember that um, Football's on, Coming Home song that was sung on the bus like a million times. One of my bloody, yeah, memories of that trip. Um, <laughs> what are your PTSD we moments some... from the trip? <laughs> <laughs> Sends me back every time I hear him. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, yeah, and we worked with some scouts, some older lads that were in scouts at the time, but we knew him anyway. Yeah. Through Mike and co. And um, they were... They must have only been about uh, between 12 and 14, maybe the oldest ones. Um, and it was my yeah, first yeah. proper trip away. Um, like, we've been camping overnight to Middlewood or whatever, but you know what? Middlewood's so close, you could run home. Yeah. This was like, we're getting Many in the middle of we did. far away. <laughs> yeah, we did. We used to run to Middlewood from home. That was, that was exactly what we did. Um, so, this was like overnight, proper mountain. Um, get boots, you know, get mess tins, get all that stuff. So uh, I hadn't done my homework on what kit to get. And my mum got me this rucksack that was like bigger than me. <laughs> and it must have been in the summer. No, mate, because... it, it, it wasn't it, because it was... The, so the premise is that we were going up Great Gable to do um, a memorial service for Remembrance Day on the top. Mm-hmm. So it, it wasn't even summertime. It was definitely winter time. Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. No wonder it was bad then. Right, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so we, I skated up this mountain and we went up from, um, I don't know, I can't remember which way we went up, but we went up and uh, there was some pretty like shaky bits. Like, mm. um, it's that bit where you come over, the, the footpath goes around a rock and it's immovable, this rock. So you've got to go around it. And you go around yeah. it and it's a massive drop on one side. I remember that. Yeah. And that was like going to be the, once you made it past there, you're all right. But so that's my next so needle, big. I think. Yeah. Sure yeah, we must have gone up from the, from the, um, not from the Honester side, from the Wasdale side. Yeah. So Wasdale in itself is an adventure to get to. It's like right out of the way in the lake, isn't it? You've got to go around the houses to get there. Um, And then <laughs> I had this bag on me that was bigger than 
bigger than me. And I remember Bill was like, every time I get stuck in the mud or whatever, he'd hold the bag up and my legs would be swinging. Yeah. And then we'd get to the next bit and he's like, what's in this bag? So we start looking through what I brought. Um, you know, my mum was worried I was going to starve to death or something. So we had like tins of beans, that really heavy stuff. Yeah, yeah, stuff you wouldn't take You just now. wouldn't take. I had a full frying pan, like an actual like heavy set, you know, metal bottomed frying pan instead of yeah. mess tins. Don't know why I took that. Anyway, he was like, right, get one of the older lads. So he, he grabbed some someone older and was like, you're going to take this and he's going to take your bag. Because um, he's struggling a lot. And I was, I was not mounting ready at that point. Yeah. Anyway, scooting along, skating around in my high-tech boots or whatever. And then we get to the t- gets to the top. And I'm like, right, it's going to be great now. We can put tents up, get some food on. We're going to be sorted. But it was so windy. Some of the older lads that were there. Yeah. <laughs> their tents had already blown in. Yeah. And these weren't like ropey tents, you know, like you got for 20 quid from Go Outdoors. These were like proper good mangoes and they were bending and stuff. So the wind was ferocious. Do you remember that wind? I did, mate. So like one of my biggest ones is because of, like... If we were to go there now, like if, if, if me and you were to go away now at the same time in the same weather as like, you know, adults who are well seasoned the outdoors, that wouldn't phase me at all. I'd be like, I've been out in plenty of weather like that and worse weather. You know, kit's better now and it'd be fine. I'd be like, you put my tent up, get my tent and they'd be like, right, I'm in my fortress now, so it's all good. But when you're about 10 years old <laughs> and it's getting dark and the only memory I have is, so like, so you know i've had a lot of influential people in my life growing up you know and, and i know you have as well but like me and mark said um on one of the earlier shows that you know, i owe a lot to my upbringing but more so like my upbringing with all the extra like curricular stuff that i did so i can put a part on that you know i know that like um going to like you know beavers club scouts cadets all that those sort of things i know that they help sort of put me on the pathway to the life that I have now and you know they kept me out of trouble you know to, to, to some extent <laughs> um you know but it, it it forced me to have this passion <laughs> for the outdoors but it's also pushed me to you know um want to not only share, you know give those experiences to other people but made sure that my my kids have the same you know drive to do more and be in some some uncomfortable situations with bad weather and things like that but I do remember at a time where I didn't need character building was when I opened up my tent as a young kid you know I you know not much experience of putting tents up on my own and the wind blew away for me to just get shouted at (laughs) like as a kid I think all I wanted was like give me a hug and sit me down until it was okay and all they got was like you bloody idiot (laughs) it's flown off (laughs) I was like (laughs) <laughs> you know and so yeah i remember that vividly that bit was that <laughs> was very powerful so the wind was it, it was a hostile environment shall we say the wind yeah. was really ripping off the top we we're in the lee side of the wind so the lee side of the mountain trying to get out of the wind but it still was just whipping along and i could see like white horses on this little like, yeah. tarn they had at the top that was like blowing over um, and then 
<laughs> Bill's there, sat shouting commands, trying to tell everyone to get the tents up and get inside because exposure yeah, yeah. risk was to be pretty high. And then <laughs> you roll your tent out. Our tent, we split it. So I think I had the peg bag, you had the pole, whatever, yeah, yeah. however we'd organised it. And uh, yeah, like the inner sheet went flying through yeah. the air and landed in that lake. <laughs> the outer was sort of, we all stood on the outer to keep it there. The poles weren't going anywhere because they weighed the earth. <laughs> and the peg bag, I tried to start staking the pegs out and the peg bag blew off and your brother chased it and nearly went for a swim <laughs> in the same way where the the initiate was and bill's like right get it away so we just like mm. bundled it all up best we could but i'd stuff the um the stuff sack for the tent inside the tent we were shouting so much i couldn't get a word in to say right you need to stop rolling it up because the stuff sacks inside yeah. and you're gonna be yeah, yeah. And, uh, you can't find it obviously the words <laughs> failed me at 10 years old so he's just like looks at me and i'm like looking at him like <laughs> you've done this to yourself first to say to it and he goes <laughs> Where, where's yeah where's the stuff sack i was like it's in there why did you really tell me that yeah yeah i was trying i mean what's what's mad is that like <laughs> obviously the we're quite fortunate obviously when we were doing these things the people who were like you know in our lives at that time you know various different influential like adults you know they're um they're all relatively young so they're still they're still in our lives you know for, for the most part um yeah. You know, still speak to Mike occasionally, top bloke, you know, all, all up to him. Bill, um, of, he's, he's not doing too well nowadays, but, you know, a, a massively influential, you know, bloke. Um, Dave, Lee, you know, there's, there's there's a list of people that you could reel off being like, these are people that you owe a lot to. And I think anyone to be involved with any sort of youth work is, you know, it takes a lot, I think, to be a youth worker. I've done it for a period of time. You still work in education. It, it's a hard job because... You're taking on, um, well, not only are you taking on young people's problems, their parents are putting the safety of their, you know, their child in your hands. And it's, it is stressful. It's a stressful job. And it does take a certain person to, to, to work with, with young people. But it definitely takes a certain person to work with young people on a volunteer basis. So like taking people away for the weekend, you know. Absolutely. So I know now with the outdoor work that I do and stuff when I guide groups and things like that, when I've worked alongside um, like cadet groups and scout groups and things like that, and people think, oh, they only go, they only go there on say like you know a Wednesday evening, and then they might take them away now again. It's not just Wednesday evenings. That, you know, their life is dedicated to benefiting you know young people, um, and like, I make no bones about it. like we grew up, you know, we grew up in Salford. It's got it's got a bad rep, but I never had any problems when I was there. And and you know my upbringing was great. <laughs> we did all this cool stuff, but I think we only had such good experiences because we had you know these key influential people in our lives. That I think at times when, especially nowadays, you see, well, slightly going off topic. Actually, let me start. Let me start again. So, because you may agree with this, and and you may not. So, mine and your parenting style. I think is is pretty similar in it, you know. Um, you're getting on with it, you're getting yeah. it done. Tough <laughs> sort of thing. Now, what I have noticed, and and I think it it will be it will become a problem. I think in in later generations is, I think saying baby is is the wrong term, but you you'll get what I mean. Is like 
we we would be pushed to do something like right okay you know the weather's rubbish but you you're going anyway you know because it's safe you're going to be uncomfortable but at the end of it you will have still achieve something nowadays it's almost like oh you can't do that because they won't enjoy it so you know you, you can't do it do you know what i mean like um to, to, you know we're, we're running yeah. we're running uh so like you see it in, in, in different workplaces and stuff like that. Like I've you know, I've worked in some like corporate environments and things like that. And I've come across not not by all means am I like, you know, the wisdom and pillar of knowledge to life. Um, because I'm still only fairly young myself, but you'll come across people in like, say, their early twenties now who who very much like, Well, you you can't say that because you might offend someone. Yeah, but if I offend someone, I'll apologize. But you you're basically telling me that I can't say something because I might offend someone. So I now can't express my opinion. Now, that comes down to, I think, the shift of sort of upbringing is what you see nowadays. You know, people are very adverse to not have risk in their life and not impose risk on, um, you know, their children. When I say risk, I mean measured risk, you know, like taking people in the outdoors. You know, some people, I mean, we, we grew up with people who, who, who had all the same opportunities as us. who never did anything because they were like, oh, no, I'm not doing that because they'll get cold. What have they not got a coat? <laughs> you know, can they not get warm? You know, and it's it's one of the things I think we're very lucky because we were at a time, you know, that I think we were probably the last sort of generation really to sort of grow up where you would be pushed and you know things weren't all sort of cotton wool like they are nowadays. You know, um, like I know like the military has changed massively, so like by no means, you know, am I like an old sweat like. It was harder, you know, 20, 30 years ago. But when I went through, it was, you know, you still got like a bit of blanket punishment and all that sort of stuff. But like nowadays, um, you can give you can give your instructors like a red and yellow card if they say something that like upsets you, which to me is madness, you know, because like, wow. you know, you're being the black and white of joining the military. You join the military to do a violent job. That is, you know, that is what your job is. And then you have your trade on top or whatever. But the black and white of it is, you know, you, you, you've got to be trained to be an aggressive person. So you can't have someone shout at you and you go, whoa, whoa, what you've just said has upset me a little bit for him to go, oh, okay, let's talk about it. And I think a lot of it comes from, you know, that age group now that are coming through is because things have changed, you know, with extracurriculum like activities in the outdoors and, you know, um, cadets and scouting and, and just the general view of the world has changed very much. And you could say, yeah, for some parts it's for the better. But some parts, I think, you know, we're running a, it's a bit of a knife edge in it, really. You could go too far one way. There's a lot of litigation. And I think the effort required to to beat the litigation, I'm talking like risk assessments, paperwork, all that sort of stuff that happens to youth organisations, insurance, it can be yeah. prohibitive because often these things rely on people Um doing doing this in their spare time or volunteering that time you know if you want to run a youth group the likelihood is you're not going to get paid for it it's something you're passionate about you want to share that and the litigation can be a difficulty and it's how you navigate that as a group now most people would advise you you don't you know you it's easier not to why do you care why do you need to and I think, yeah, you're raising this good point. And sometimes I struggle with this myself. There's this really good idea of altruism and like respecting other people's differences. And I, you know, I'm all about that. That's, yeah. that's wonderful. Um, I, th- I think, 
but what but what I'm what but the counter side of that, you know, the other side of that, if I, if I might get onto that is um do we risk not yeah. doing anything because because of the um does it it's more mm. to navigate and more and it, it can be done. It's how you do it. Um is you know, is the desire still yeah. there to do that? And and part of it as well is you have to reflect on on yeah, is your makeup of your group like relevant to your yeah. area? What is all that about? So there's lots to consider, but that shouldn't be a you know people are making a barrier out of it, and it yeah. shouldn't be. A that, that's what I'm getting at. And I mean, um, I th- in what, my view. so is so without going too political about it, a, a great example of this and an easy way for people to sort of understand what what I mean when I say that things have changed because um, sometimes they have to, you know. We can't always just leave things as they are. So when we were, when I know that when we were in Cubs and Scouts and things like that, it was quite common and you were allowed to carry a folding pocket knife that doesn't lock. Yeah. So sub three and a half inches doesn't lock, you know, not a problem. Right. Yeah. And it was yeah. nice to go and, and get by one. no means did you, did you ever see any, any like, you know, teenagers stab each other? No. Did you know, no. have you ever been stabbed? <laughs> You know what I mean? And we grew up, we, 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 not by anyone in else a, in a city, you know, in an urban city, you know, one that's got a reputation for violent crime as well. Now, there is no yeah. way in this world that you would get away with letting a group of teenage lads or girls or mixed groups run around in the outdoors now carrying knives. It wouldn't happen. But I know that a key part of my youth was like learning how to obviously use, you know, like axes, knives, and all that sort of stuff. But do it in a responsible way. And the responsible way was most of the time is, well, it's yours. Keep it in your pocket. You know, and, and I, yeah. I specifically remember being told, well, you'll only cut yourself once because you do. <laughs> and that's how you learn. <laughs> you know, and I think like, yeah. you know, um, so my eldest, he's 10. Um, he's got his own Swiss Army knife now. And he to him, it was the greatest thing in the world for him to be given like, you know, a pocket knife. He, he absolutely loved it. The fact that he'd been given this responsibility. Now, whenever we go to the to yeah. the forest or go out in the lakes or anything like that, he's got it with him. But I never see him take it out and mess around with it because I've told him since day one. I'm like, listen, like these are the rules. This is you know this is what you can and can't do. And you know, if you cut yourself, you're only going to cut yourself once, mate, because it hurts. And so far, touch wood, you know, he's not had any accidents or anything like that. But I think you know there was a fair few people like, well, are you, you going to let him have a Swiss Army knife? I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's a good, it's a good lesson to have as a, as a young person, you know, especially someone who wants to spend a lot of time in the outdoors. You know, I mean, I've still got my first knife, you know, um, and it's where we, yeah. we have this conversation quite a lot with like, a couple of my colleagues and work and stuff like, you know, because they all grew up, you know, there's a lot of them of similar age to me and a fair few of them are a bit older than me, but they all grew up with the same sort of upbringing of, well, you were allowed to do that. I mean, one guy who I mentioned on the show the other week, he grew up, you know, he's, he's 52 now, and he, he grew up at a time when you were allowed to sort of like take an air rifle on the bus, <laughs> like, and just, you know, go and yeah. shoot cans or whatever with your mates and, you know, do whatever you want. But like, there's no way you'd get away with doing that now. And I know that's obviously because law has changed and things like that, but it shows the shift of, of change you know, um, for these environments. And I think, like, you can look in other countries and see where there's there's positives and negatives to be taken from other countries. Obviously, um, when people think of, like, legal carry and stuff like that, they're thinking about Mm. America. 
and there's um there's obviously a, a negatives around legal carry yeah. in America. But more people, there's more guns per capita in Switzerland. There's more guns per capita in uh, yeah. Canada than there is in America. Um, and you don't hear all these horror stories over there. So it might be more about availability yeah, or, and... or whatever whatever it's about. When I went to Sweden, I, I went uh, was studying in Sweden for a little bit. And I was in the north mm-hmm. of Sweden near a place, a city called Umia. And it's like in winter, it's completely like frozen over, deep snow, mm. all that. And they've got these series of like, yeah, it's cool. We need to go, actually. There's this series of um, log huts that are just there. Like a lot of hunting goes yeah, on yeah. up there. A lot of um, like caribou stuff and salt licks are all there for, you know, like yeah. for the hunters. But there's also these log cabins. If you get caught short, you can survive in this log cabin, essentially. Yeah. Survive being like that, you know, you won't be comfortable. Well, <laughs> like if a lot of them, a lot of the kids over there, for example, they don't get a car. They'll get um, a yeah. snowmobile, you know, instead of a scooter or whatever. That's their main um, means of transportation. And they all want one, you know, because it's a cool yeah. thing to have. If that breaks down or whatever, you need to take shelter while the repairman comes around or the AA or whatever the equivalent is. The BB. You go and hide in these log cabins. <laughs> so inside the log cabin, it's like wood structure, open door, and then there's um there's a lot there's a mm. fire pit and an axe. And that's just left there waiting for waiting yeah. for use. And it's left there on the proviso that you know the people who need it are going to use it. And if you don't need it, don't touch mm. it. I, and I was amazed. I was yeah. like, what? That had never happened in Britain. Can you imagine, well, like... Mate, you don't even leave, like... Cutting through Lime Park and there's a there's a flipping log cabin with an axe You don't even leave, there, like, just, churches you know, and things like that open case. anymore, do they, in the UK? You know what I mean? So they're not going to leave, like, somewhat like that open. They're not going to leave anything that's, you know, potentially dangerous. I mean, I think it, there's a lot to be said... I think for, for this sort of thing, and it, I've gone way off topic from what I wanted to talk about, but I think it's a good one. Um, that, is that like, there's a lot to be said about the media, you know, portray things because like when you said like, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk about legal carry in the States and a lot of negative. I know a lot of people who carry in the States who live in different areas of the States. Um, and none of them have got horror stories of like, you know, schools getting brassed mm. up or like, you know, neighbors getting shot or anything like that. You know, I think, you only ever really see the negative side and especially as well like you know with, with the uk shooting community um everyone i've met in the, in the who, who's you know in the line of work that i do as well who, who's got a firearms ticket there's some of the most law-abiding people you're ever going to come across and it's because it's a real privilege to have one so and it's something you're passionate about so like i'm massively passionate about climbing but if i did something wrong no one's going to come and take all my climbing kit away but you have a minor, you know, yeah. a minor traffic, you know, altercation with someone. You get out of your car. You don't even have to do anything. That's it. That was that that luxury lifestyle that you've had and that hobby you're passionate about gone instantly. You know, it'll be taken away from you. And I think, you know, there's a lot of people who are very negative about it. Um, and I think some of it is a lack of understanding or having an opinion on something that they aren't privy to. You know, so I could, I, you know, I could sit here very much openly going, well, I don't like guns. I don't want anyone to have guns. You know, but I've got an insight into that world and 
my insight of that world is they're all normally, you know, the, the, well, they have to be law-abiding, otherwise you wouldn't have one. They're all very nice people. And that world is, is, is everyone's very passionate about their hobby like they are in any hobby, but more so for the fact that, obviously, you know, you run the risk of losing it, you know. Um, so you lose not only, you know, your hobby, but you lose all of what you've spent a lot of money on. You know, it's not a cheap thing. Now, the States, obviously... <laughs> getting a firearm in the States isn't that much different to getting one in the UK. The only difference is that some areas, you know, don't need them to be locked up. You still have to go and get, you still have to fill out the forms to be able to get a, a carry permit and, you know, own firearms and things like that. Um, but again, you're the media, you only portray the negative side um, of, of what, and to be fair, you've got to look at it as like, what, what would sell, you know, if you, if you, if you said like, there was a, there was a, um, a video that was going around not how long ago of a guy who got attacked by a bear. Now, he wasn't hunting or anything like that. He was just like going for a trek, you know, somewhere in the States and stumbled across the bear and the bear attacked him. You know, fine. You know, he's in their area. Most people would be respectful of that. You know, the, these things happen. Now, obviously, he shot this bear because, um, you know, he was carrying and he got away. He was injured. You know, he's in a bad way, like really tore up. But if you hadn't shot it, you know, mm -hmm. would have died. Now, yeah, you don't. That that's an, you know, for me, that's an, that's an instance of where you know a firearm has been in place somewhere, um, and it's it's you know, sadly, you, know, you could argue the fact that you know, sadly, a bear's died. You know, awesome creature. Um, however, you know, this guy survived. If he hadn't been carrying, he would have been dinner. You know, but you don't really see that side. All you see is you know, this shooting's happened, that shooting's happened, or whatever. But you have it in the UK as well with like violent knife crime and things like that. You know, most knives that I get used in knife crime are kitchen knives, you know, or items of such like screwdrivers and things like that. You know, they're not like your camp knife that you carry around and spend a lot of money yeah. on. You know, they're not, they're not mm -hmm. those sort of things. So yeah, I think rightly and wrongly, you know, we move away from sort of upbringing we had. Cause I think there, there was no way near that stuff. And we're only going back like, you know, 15 years, you know, 15, 20 years at most none of that was about when we were little. And if it was, it was nowhere near in the level of what it is now. And you could, do, you know, there's an argument there to say, well, because we've become so strict and so soft in some ways, um, you know, you, you've sort of, you, you've bred a, a generation that don't have the respect for these the items and responsibilities that we were taught at a young age, you know? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of rights and respect that is, sort of flows through this whole discussion mm. so like i work in a school and i have confiscated if you will um what school would describe them as weapons yeah. you know like uh, not rarely blades mm. um but often improvised things like um the kids refer to them as shanks and you're like come <laughs> on mate it's in sing sing yeah this is this is a this is a quite a nice high school don't be playing that yeah. game um but stuff they've improvised themselves tools weapons like um screwdrivers that sort of stuff and um and part of it, it always or what always accompanies that is um this paranoia normally they've been on the gear the um they'll take them along as a safety precaution yeah 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 um because they don't want the trades to go awry and often they've been taking too much cannabis and it's um it, it's led to them having a set of paranoia yeah. around them um 
or they've got like some sort of infatuation with shiny weapon like things and they want to up the rep yeah. and the you know that the children at the end of the day yeah. and the media has played a role in um highlighting knife crime mm. which is a problem in you know tell that you know tell the knife crime's not a problem to a grieving mother yeah oh exactly it, yeah it's yeah. a problem in in areas however um Everyone, ra- rather than educate around use of knives responsible, responsibly, or um, have checks about your kids and, and what's going on, everyone's just the, the teenage response was everyone's got a knife, I better get yeah. one. And you know, it's like a new pair of trainers or an Xbox or whatever. Mm. We all need one. Well, what's the outcome going to be? Some people are going to get hurt. If, we, if we're like having dust ups, we're arguing over um, things that are, you know, trivial things yeah. or not so trivial things. And with our carrying knives, someone is going to get hurt. So, yeah, we need to sort of reinvest in this view of how you educate people around. Yeah, because I think, you know, your influential years are from the ages of sort of like, for lads and area, you, you're looking at probably starting about 11 or 12, going right up to being like, you know, I'd say early 20s, 20, 21, you know. And if those, if those, that fast, so, oh, I think everyone who's, who's listening, and you know, you would do agree, is that, you know, as a young lad, boys are fascinated with like cars guns knives and girls most lads you know it's a generic thing i'm pretty sure it's pre-programmed into what you want (laughs) you know and it's the type of films that you'd want to watch as well and games that you're playing and all that sort of stuff now if that was instilled in you as a a young age of you know this is a knife you respect this you don't do this with it you don't do that with like we had you know i had plenty of scraps but never once have i been like we stab him you know (laughs) like me and you have had fights when we were kids and we both carried knives as, as kids, you know, growing up in the woods yeah. and that. We had fights in the woods and stuff. Did ever, did ever at any point, did you go, I'm stabbish? <laughs> you know, like it, it no. doesn't come about. But now, because, you know, the, there's there's an element of that isn't taught and that responsibility isn't there and that fascination isn't, it's not even, um, it's taken away almost because it, you just thought of it's a, it's a no. Now, granted, I, I've worked with some disadvantaged youths and some young adults as well that have made the poor decisions, you know, through, through lack of understanding the outcome of their actions, um, especially where like violent crime and things like that is involved. And yeah, to, to teach it later on now is quite a hard thing, you know, to, to, to show someone, no, um, that is not how you do it. I think it's again, you know, but it is, it's a fine line because, I believe that, you know, the way we were brought up was a very good way of being shown and taught. And, and I'm pretty certain the people who showed and taught us and our parents and everything like that would agree as well that, like, you know, yeah, you know, that's that's the yeah, right way of, of doing it. That's And that's the big thing, because when we're talking about... I've seen some education um, around knife crime and violent crime. Mm. Um, and then you look at the wider influence of that hate crime um obviously there's a big legal push for recognition of hate crimes and that's happened and it's been enshrined in law about hate crimes yeah affecting a lot of people and the knock-on effect of like hate crimes is organized violence organized gangs and in that you know um peer-to-peer abuse Mm. there's lots there's so much so um I think you can't isolate one without the other. So yeah. 
in our own lifetimes, we didn't grow up in households which were like, you know, divisive or racist in any way. We didn't grow up in households that mm. were saying, right, you're better than this person or you're better than that person. Yeah. We didn't grow up to think less of someone else because they were poor or because they were a different colour of skin or, or anything like that. Yeah. And like I know there's institutional racism and there's 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 other aspects to that. There's like you might not know what some of your actions may be racist, but you know in some of these violent situations, a lot of the the parenting's overt, um, and a lot of these people are groomed into mm. violent gangs. So I'm glad that they're educating around the issue, and I think that that also needs to be taken into account. Yeah. But what better way than spending time with people outside of your your own sort of social group, if you will, mm. in youth groups, in uh, doing activities that unite you over something that we're all scared of. I don't care how hard you think you are, if you're a girl, boy, whatever. Yeah. You are equally afraid of going off this abseil. You're equally afraid of doing this, that or the other. And like, well, that's a shared experience now. And the youth work I've done has always been around that. Yeah. So I think we did benefit massively from who we knew. Yeah. Um, who we related to in your case. But also that we had open-minded parents that were saying, right, okay, yeah, go and do it. Go yeah, and have exactly. that time with these other people. Yeah. And I think a good one you touched on there then as well, like I know that when I've run – uh, abseils and stuff like that for, for youth groups and that you always get that sort of that one lad who's you know thinks he's like the big i am giving it big gobs all the time thinking he's like you know king of the group you take him to the edge of the abseil <laughs> and he absolutely falls to pieces and you're like well, not so tough now are you and um yeah again, the obvious ones are normally the biggest melts yeah and i think you know obviously there's a lot to be said about pushing people and, and educating them in a different way than more of like a reformed way of right and wrong you know um like we're going full circle almost back into like outdoor education. Like there's a big push for it. it. Everyone moved away from it for a little bit and there's, they're going back to it. Um, and I think again, like, you know, going back to our original thing of, of when we, you know, this, this experience in the, in the, lake, in the lakes that just went sour. <laughs> so like we, we had this pretty tough experience of, I would say it's a great example of character building as a child. Cause it was really bad weather. And like, we can laugh about it cause it's funny and everyone was safe, but it was really bad weather everyone we had to bail off you know great gable and i I've, yeah. i can hand on heart i've only ever bailed off two routes one was on great gable as a kid and one was off Helvellyn as an adult um you know so <laughs> it shows that our experience as a great teacher um you know and ability <laughs> and cho- choice of weather and things like that and um so we went we went off great gable and then we ended up going to this center which we were like Oh mate, was at first we thought we were going home, weren't we? And we were a bit like, oh, we're going home. <laughs> and then it, it, it turned into this like absolutely crazy weekend away of right. We're gonna not do what we were originally doing, so we're gonna go to this outdoor centre, which is madness in itself. But on the way to this outdoor <laughs> centre, um, we had another bout of character building by you know the people responsible for us did a fantastic job of looking after us, and like I said, you know, still speak to them now. I would trust my kids with them. Great adults. Yeah. Um, however, you know, looking after a group of, you know, 12, 15 year old 
like lads that aren't yours is stressful. You know, uh, no doubt we did put them under <laughs> under stress at times with behaviour and attitude and messing around. Because although we were all well-behaved kids, we did mess about and you know be kids because that's what it's kids do. That. Yeah, I specifically remember and this trip we stopped at a garage to uh, <laughs> to get fuel on the way to go into Garriga, and there was one lad in the oh, group called um, I'll name him because I, I can't remember his surname. So Robert. Um, was was quite a loud individual uh, in the group, <laughs> and you know these instructors who were with us had got out and and gone and got us like you know got us all. And I specifically remember, I'll always remember that he got us a can of Pepsi. <laughs> Everyone a can of Pepsi, so that's out of their own money. Fifteen lads, yeah, you've had a trauma experience. Have a can of Pepsi. We're going to stop on the way to a go, and we're going to get everyone fish and chips. That is amazing leadership, in my opinion. When you're looking after a group of young people, they've had a, a horrible experience. You're going to stop them. Get him a sugary drink, which will help. But you're going to stop and get him like hot, warm food. Winner. Everyone gets given a can of Pepsi. One lad in the back just shouts, I don't want Pepsi. I want Coke. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it didn't go down well, did it? It didn't go down well. No, no. I, just, I remember them being sat there for at least five, ten minutes. Well, uh, everyone got a bit of a bollocking. <laughs> yeah. And I tell you what, though, like, it says a lot when, when like you can remember these experiences still as an adult being like, Phew, I wouldn't do that again. Um, yeah. You know, cause I mean, <laughs> amazing really. <laughs> it was he good. remembers as well. Cause I, when I my first job I ever had, he worked there and I was like, Oh no way. And uh, yeah, we recounted that tale and yeah, he prefers, he still prefers Coca-Cola. <laughs> Fingers <laughs> as well. Right. Like, I, I, we did. I, I remember doing like a bit of an experiment um, with a youth group. Like we gave everyone Pepsi and told them it was Coke, and no one questioned it. Uh. No one questioned <laughs> it. Do you know what I mean? At all? Like you were not in the packaging. Like no one, no one questioned yeah. it. They went, oh, right, they? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's one of them in it. Like brand loyalty is a strong one. I it remember. Was right, anyway, so, do you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He'd been Santa Claus had really had him over and said like, "Yeah, you're only drinking Coke now." Bobby boy. <laughs> so I remember when we um when we had to bail, it was getting dark as we were meant to be putting the tents up. Um probably because I was so like snail's pace up the hill. Anyway, we we got there then it it was a washout, it was gonna all the tents were gonna blow over and break. Mm. They had to think on their feet and decided, right, best thing to do is get down. <laughs> so we starts walking down and I had like my first ever torch, you know, like uh oh yeah, a double A battery ball. thing, yeah, halogen, a D cell double batteries. A battery, <laughs> yeah, maybe even a D cell, not but not even like fancy, not not like a mag light or something. It was probably like some ever ready thing my dad found under the stairs or something. Yeah, and um, obviously the batteries were dying in the cold. Yeah, so Mike bless him, like. He had a head torch and he walked, he'd walk one step and I'd walk one step and then he'd shine the light on where my next foot step was going to go and we just sort of snail paced it back down. May I remember like, this? Yeah, yeah. It took so long and it was, it took ages and I was, I was worried, but he really reassured me, like, so fair play to him. I remember doing a trip and, underground with, with, with Mike in a similar experience. Uh, I think you were there as well, actually. Um because I remember you were there and, and Mike's son Gareth was, was with us because he's the same age as us. And um, my dad was leading a group underground and we were underground with him. And 
I don't think it was this trip, but it was definitely Gary Gill. And um, there'd been like a little bit of like a, I say a collapse, but it sounds very dramatic, but it wasn't. But the message that I got back to the back of the group was, Mark's dead. <laughs> and, uh, all I thought was like, my dad's been killed. <laughs> you know? oh I remember like, it, it was, it was, it sounded a lot worse than it was. All that happened is that, you know, there'd been a bit, it, it, it was a little bit bad, but it weren't, it weren't, it weren't nowhere near warranting any sort of panic. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, like definitely no panic. But obviously, you know, to a kid who's like, you know, 10, like, think he has been killed. He's like, you know, I mean, I, 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 sadly, I lost my dad as an adult and it was traumatic enough as an adult. So I couldn't imagine what it would have been like I'm, in those circumstances as a kid. I remember, I re- your, I remember your dad Mike telling going, me this story. Yeah, I remember Mike sort of looking at me going, <laughs> and bless him, mate, what an awesome guy. I just went, it's all right. I'll look after you. <laughs> I mean, to be like, <laughs> my instant response oh, yeah, to him was something like, yeah, but I don't want you to be my dad. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Poor guy. And uh, I remember having a chat with him not that long ago, actually. And we brought this up, and it was, it was quite funny. But <clears throat> yeah, you know, it just goes to show that these people that, look, you know, that have been part of our lives for a long time, um, they've been there through key moments of emotion. And I think that trip when we had to bail off the mountain was definitely yeah, an emotional was... time, you know. <laughs> we, um, yeah, I remember getting down to the bottom and it was uh, me and your kid and we were like, ah, oh, what, what's that? And you could see, we could see this sort of faint light. I mean, it must have only been um, Wasdale, so there's not a lot of natural light coming out of them or natural yeah. light coming out of there, you know. Well, it's a pub, and, uh, that's it. Like, yeah, that's it. So he's looking and he's like, what's that? What's that? And he ran. And he's like, oh, it's a phone box. Lenny. I remember this. Yeah, yeah. Civilization. <laughs> so we all got in the phone box. There must have been about six of us crammed into it. Like, yeah, yeah oh, I remember. Indoors. Like, <laughs> electricity. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, like, amazing. Anyway, they fetch us all out there and then bought us fish and chips. Yeah. Oh, I mean, the, the moral of the story is that you, know, you can take a group of people away and have a horrific time, but like we're still sat here laughing about it, you know. Yeah, like it was horrific, but I loved but great. it. And it got me up to the top of Great Gable the second time I understand yeah. it because I was yeah. remembering and recounting the tale, right? Oh, this is what happened here. This is when I had to get fished out of a bog because it fell in it with me massive rucksack. Yeah. This is where the tent blew in the, in the tarn. This is, you know, this bit, that bit. And then. Um, yeah, just really formative experiences. Um, See, last time I did Great Gables with a friend um, uh, called Rebecca, and um, we did it in summertime. Just, just me and her went and hiked it, and um, went off route, and I went across and like did my nape's needle and things like that along that route with her. And um, again, I remember sort of saying to her, saying, "You're the only time I've ever been up here was when I was a kid." Like that was the first time as an adult I've been up there because I think people sort of see you as an outdoor instructor or an ML or you know, people spend a lot of time at those and you assume you've climbed every single peak. Like, yeah. I don't know how many Wainwrights I've done because I don't keep count, but I've done a fair few. But I know there's also quite a lot that I haven't done. Um, or some of these mountains are ones that I've done once and I'll probably never do again, you know. Um, like the Three Peaks Challenge, you know, I've done the Three Peaks, but Snowden now, I, I hate going up Snowden. I'll only go up Snowden now if I'm going to get paid to go to up Snowden just because right. I've done it that much. I don't like doing it. It's, you know... For me, it's, it, for me, it isn't a challenging day to warrant me spending my day to go for a walk in the outdoors. I'd rather go somewhere else. If I'm mm-hmm. working, totally different situation. You know, I'll, I'll do what needs to be done and 
you know, make sure everyone has a good time and all that sort of stuff. But like um, Scarfell, I've done that four or five times, I think. And I'm getting to the point on that now where I'm like, no, nah, I'll only really do that if I'm asked to go or, you know, it's not in the three-peak season. Because I think th- th- this is the thing, anything that's national and that's big like that, um, you know, during that season, if everyone wanting to do it, it's just a nightmare. Whereas, like, I've got a trip planned, um, hopefully, if all goes well and we're allowed out soon, which is looking like we're going to be. Um, I've been asked to take a fair few of us up Triffin. Um, oh, nice. Now, that's the moment that, like, I would quite happily guide groups up that all day, every day. Like, yeah, you could go up it every single day and probably go a different route every time. It's, you know, it's an amazing, you know, mountain to do. Again, you know, everyone has a good time. Um, it's very rare I've come across people that are having, you know, a bit of a bad time up there. Um, but again, yeah, you know, it, it shows, I think, doesn't it? Like some of these mountains that we've done as kids, like Great Gable is a great example. You know, I've only ever done it once after as, as an adult, I think. I'm sure I've only done it once, maybe twice. Um, but yeah, for me, I was like, well, last time I was here as a kid and I didn't get to the top. So now as an adult, I'm going. <laughs> Like yeah. I've got standards, I've got to put some rights wrong, you know, some wrongs right rather. Um, some rights wrong. <laughs> some, got to put some rights wrong, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, what what your plans when we're allowed out? Are you got any any set trips you want to do or? Um, yeah, so there's a few. You mentioned a few there, like so. I've got a little book that we made in lockdown with um, some plans in three peaks. The Yorkshire three peaks would be one. I quite fancy that. Yeah. I quite fancy uh, running the Gritstone Trail because it's right by my house and it's yeah. about 35 mile long, goes past your house. You can join me on the way. Are you going to do the actual like... event? Oh. I don't know if it's an event. I'd just do it myself. Yeah, there is. There's a full event. Yeah, it's a proper race. Yeah, because the search right. team do the medical cover for it every now and again. Oh, I didn't know that. Right, well, yeah, yeah. maybe. I'll have a look. Um, some more bike rides. I fancy doing some more of them. And... Uh, my wife, her family, she's got some family in Scotland, or she did have, um, and she spent a lot of her youth, like, mm. in Scotland, growing up, either relatives, or she lived in Scotland for a portion of time, so there's lots of Scotland I want to see, um, and she's got the inside track on where it's good, and what, you know, might be a bit of a nostalgic trip for her as well, so I think that'd be yeah. nice to do. Um, Wicked. Mm, I mean, we just got to make sure that everything does what they're supposed to be doing and it all goes to plan. Because, I mean, like, the second I'm allowed out, I'm, I'm going everywhere. You know, if we're, <laughs> if, we're, if, we're, if we're allowed out and, um, you know, we get we get a spring and a summer, I don't intend to spend any any weekend or free time at home. I intend okay. to spend most of, my, most of my free time and weekends now will be spent in a tent, I think, um, to make up for being locked up for a year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's mad because I, I, I like, you know, I never thought it, it it bothered me as much as what it has bothered me. Um, and it has, even through winter, you know, people are like, oh, you know, this one's worse than the first one. And, and granted, yeah, you know, to some extent, I can see why people feel that way. But I I felt the same way as I did in winter as I did for the first one, because I was like, oh, all the winter adventures I could be having that I can't be having because yeah. I can't get there. Like Wales had like an awesome winter season. And we weren't allowed to go. <laughs> Missed out on all those winter mountaineering days. Got it. Um, so yeah, I've I've got some making up to do. So my aim is to just spend a lot of time walking, camping, paddleboarding, 
Um, going back to archery, hopefully. Um, again, as soon as we get lifted and we can we can go, I'll be there every day before work. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that. Like, but yeah, I'm looking forward to that routine. And I, I fancy mm-hmm. a few things. Your brother was on about wild swimming. That sounds good. Um, yeah, I've been, I did some outdoor swimming um, during the last, like when it was local lockdowns, we could wild swim because obviously it would, not wild swim. Um, organized swim because you're at a distance so we couldn't swim indoors yeah and they were really popular and i got back into it actually i've not been uh swimming like open water swimming mm. for a while um yeah there was lots of people there because the pools were shut and a lot of people try to train and stuff you know in the yeah in any water, body of water they could find and summer was lush as well shame we were locked oh, down. mate yeah it was good one at this summer just been yeah yeah so yeah I mean... eager to get on that again <clears throat> I, we're, we're really keen. There's another lad as well, Stu, who's mate, so he's, he's really keen. We're massively like going to try and do a lot of spear fishing if we can. That oh, is like, mate, yeah. I'm well up for that because last time I went and did that with with Dave um, and uh, one of my mates, Emily, I had an amazing weekend. It was absolutely incredible, mate. Um, and the viz and everything was was aged. So that is the plan. I, I think global travel is going to be off the cards for some time because no matter what we do as a country, it's going to be what globally is allowed. And if it's a big ag to go away, then I'd rather just stay in the UK, to be fair. Yeah. Um, I think people you know, but, really so, appreciate yeah. what the UK can offer. And I personally I think it's yeah. loads. I think yeah. it'll be a good, especially if we, have, if we have a good summer again and we're allowed out, I think it'll do a lot for the tourism industry in the UK uh, and the outdoor industry. I think it'll do a, do a lot. Mm. Because um, there's a lot of people who are keen to do new hobbies and start new things and just have a good time again, aren't they? You know. Yeah. Um, so I think it'll be it'll be good, mate. So fingers crossed we can get out on some mint trips. Yeah, sounds all quite positive. And yeah, I'd be, be down yeah. for that all all day. Sound right. Well, that's brought us to the end of uh, of our our show that sort of went in a whirlwind. Yeah, <laughs> bit of a meander, but, but a good, good one. You know, some good topics, yeah. some good Definitely. topics, and some good some good structure to it. So. Mate, as always, absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much for spending the time with me. My pleasure, man. No worries. Everyone else, stay safe and we will speak to you soon. Take care.